Well, good evening. Uh, do bring you greetings from Heritage in Johannesburg. So, as you know, Rian and I are pulpit swapping. So, uh, condolences to you. Congratulations to Johannesburg. Uh, no, it's a, always a joy and a privilege to to come through here, and uh, also to meet new people, see new faces. I thought that uh, it would be nice for me to preach a sermon that I preached at, at, in Johannesburg at the beginning of the year on the ethos of Heritage Baptist Church. So ethos is, comes from the Greek philosophers. Aristotle, thank you. <laughs> I was thinking, is it Socrates? I can't remember. Is it Aristotle? Uh, and he spoke about uh, um, rhetoricians and that they should use uh, logos, logic, in their presentations, so persuade people through logic and pathos, through their emotions, appeal to their heart, to move them to action, but also ethos, which had to do with the character, the integrity of the speaker. And so ethos has come down to us, so we talk about the ethos of a company or an institution to mean its practices and its character, its attributes. Uh, and so every organization has it, whether it thinks about it or not, and every church has it, again, whether it thinks about it or not. Uh, and there are certain distinctives that uh, we as a church should have. And uh, I wanted us just to look at our Lord's Day service. Why do we structure it the way that we do? Why do we have the elements that we do have? Uh, it was not just, you know, randomly, oh, it just sounds like a nice thing to do. Let's put this here and put that there and you know, and see what happens, but it is very structured. In fact, in the very outlay of the service, the gospel is portrayed, uh, and it's something that's not unique to us. This is over uh, centuries of church history, and even before that, taken from the synagogue worship as the Jews were dispersed during the various exiles in, in 722 BC and 586 BC, they spread out into the known world into Europe and Asia Minor, which we know as Turkey, uh, the Mediterranean areas, the Levant, uh, and they were away from the temple and they set up synagogue worship that had the same elements that we have today, singing, preaching, praying, reading of scripture, and a benediction. And so uh, the way we do things is, is intentional. It is thought through and it's helpful if we're all on the same page. And if you understand why we do things the way they do, I think it will help you in, in extracting more from it, to know the richness of our worship together. Uh, and it's also right that God's people are united. Paul speaks about that in 1 Corinthians and Philippians 2, uh, that we're, we're of the same mind, that we're pulling in the same direction. And traditions are really important. Uh, many people are, are leaving Orthodox Christianity to go to sort of uh, to Roman Catholicism or Greek Orthodoxy because of certain traditions. Uh, people look for stability. The world has so much confusion. Uh, things are changing so rapidly. It's it's uh, you know the you know they talk about Gen Z and Gen X and Gen. Used to be a generation was sort of you know, 40, 50 years. Now it's every sort of 10 years, there's a new generation. And I look at some of the young people in, in the church and they send me WhatsApp messages or jokes, memes, and I'm like, I don't know what this means. I, 
I, I have no idea what this actually means. It's like we're on different planets uh, because things are changing so quickly. And we need some stability, and God knows that about human nature, and he's given us. That's why we gather every Lord's Day, uh, and there are traditions that God has given to us. These are not things, as I said, that we've just come up with. They are commanded in God's word. Uh, we hold to what is called the regulative principle of worship, that our worship is regulated by Scripture. Uh, it's not. That's why you won't see puppet shows here on, you know, on a Lord's Day service. Nothing wrong with puppet shows. Uh, uh, it's fine to have them any other time and, and even in church and to do it with your children. But the Lord's Day service, God tells us what we are to do. Uh, we are not going to be canceling our service so that we can watch the Rugby World Cup final altogether or something like that. Because God has told us to gather to worship him. And he is God and he says just as uh, you know, any monarch with his, his or her salt has a protocol, you, know, you can't just high five the queen or now the king of England, there is a way that you come to, to a monarch. How much more when we come to the living God? Uh, and so I hope this is a blessing. One theologian summarized the gospel in these four words. He said, the gospel is God, sin, Christ, faith. God, God is the creator of all things. Sin entered into the world and, of course, brought death. But Christ came to redeem us, and we receive that salvation by faith. And you see these components in our, in our gathering. So the first thing when we gather is there are announcements. Okay, so there are announcements, and let me encourage you to, to try and make those announcements because we're, we're part of the Lord's family, and these announcements have to do with the life of the church and things that are going on in the church. And so uh, it, it's not just, you know, you pitch up, later for certain things, but really to be involved and to hear those, those things. It's family information. We are called to love one another. We are members of, of one body, hands and feet and eyes and ears. Uh, and so we need to care for one another, find out what's happening in the life of the church. Of course, we understand, uh, you know, lateness happens, okay? Uh, things happen all the time. We understand that. This is not some sort of legalistic thing. But if it's just a pattern in your life that you're habitually late for everything, that's not good. Okay, that's a bad habit. Uh, and so seek to, to break that. Uh, let me just say that you will also notice, as uh, you saw Philip, he said that we have a box at the back. You know, if anyone wishes to give tithes and offerings, maybe this is quite strange for you. Maybe you've never, every church you go to, they'll have a 10-minute you know, session or even 15-minute session where they pass the bag around, where they give you a, a mini sermon, they, you know, they talk about if you want to prosper, then you need to give, and um, good measure, pressed down, <laughs> overflowing. Uh, why don't we do that? Well, I'm not saying that that's sinful. Paul does say in Corinthians on the first day of the week, which is the Sunday, when you gather, uh, have, have something to give. So it seems on, on the Lord's Day, people set aside money to give. Uh, what we, we, we are intentional in why we don't do it is because, unfortunately, there has been such abuse in the church. Uh, and those that bear the name of Christ have just chased after people's money. Uh, and, and so we intentionally are not doing that, especially if you're a visitor or if you have not yet put your trust in Christ. We're not, we don't want your money. We don't want you to give anything. We have something for you. 
we have the good news for you. We have uh, the, the, the pearl of great price for you that we want to give you something and we don't want you to feel obliged or guilty or shamed into, into giving. Giving is part of God's people. God's people are called to give, and to support those in ministry. And if you've been fed, it is right that you, you pay for that and you give for that. Paul says that uh, in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Uh, but we don't do it intentionally uh, because we, we're trying to show that there's, we're here to worship the Lord. We're not here to chase after your money. Well, after the announcements, we have a call to worship. And it's intentional that we do it this way to make a distinction. We are now starting our time of corporate worship. We are turning our attention away from family matters and announcements to now focus on the Lord. Uh, we, we, I've been at churches where you know, they start with singing some hymns and praying, and then they have announcements, and it's so-and-so's birthday, and it's this and that, and I'm always thinking, but why? I, I've just, it's so hard, if you're anything like me, our hearts are often so cold to just start to worship the Lord and not think about Monday and not think about the stresses and the exams and the you know, the meeting, the horrible meeting at work or anything like that, just to get your heart into a place where you can worship. And then it's all broken to hear about someone's birthday or <laughs> something like that. Now, we're not against anyone's birthday, but the idea is we intentionally make it that now it's no longer about us, it's about Christ. We're turning our attention to Him, to worship Him. We want our hearts to be softened. Uh, we want our, our, our minds to be turned away from the things of this world, uh, to fix our eyes on Christ and the things of this world grow strangely dim. That's the idea. And so there's the call to worship, uh, scripture reading, and then uh, a, you know, a, a prayer. Well, the, the call to worship can be a, a scripture from anywhere. Often it's from the Psalms. Uh, to praise the Lord, we're called to praise the Lord. Here's an example, Psalm 135, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Uh, that's hallelujah. Okay, there's some Hebrew for you. You thought you didn't know Hebrew, now you do. Uh, hallelujah is praise the Lord. And so we're called to praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord. And then verse 3 says this, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant, or it is beautiful. Uh, we worship what we find beautiful, not what we find useful. Okay. Uh, you know, you, if you, I, I enjoy working with my hands. I enjoy making things. I've never sort of worshipped a hammer. It's useful. I came close once because there was like a collector's item one that was beautifully made, but it was beautiful. Okay, uh, it had a beautiful wooden handle. All different. It was almost like a one of those crossbow handles. The type of wood and uh, it was amazing. But you get the idea that we, we, we don't worship what we find useful. If you find God useful, you won't, won't worship him. He is simply a means to an end. He is here to make your life a bit better, to get through your exams, to uh, meet people, to have a community, something like that. But it won't lead you to worship. But worship is based on the fact that we find Christ beautiful. And so the call to worship is to, to find him beautiful, to start to to praise him. And then the amazing thing is that he is beautiful, altogether lovely, and yet infin of infinite benefit. Eternal life as well. 
And then the prayer of invocation, a short prayer to ask the Lord to be with us. And so we're saying, Lord, you please come and be with us. He has promised to be with his church. He has promised to to walk uh, amongst his people. But we're asking him to be with us. It's a cry. We're invoking his name, calling him to come down to be with us. You know, this is not, of course, God is everywhere. It's just a symbolic thing. We're asking the Lord to be with us in a special way. You know, when the, when the uh, All Blacks play, before the, before the match, they do the haka. Have you ever seen that? Okay, I'm sure we all have. It's quite impressive. Uh, what, the haka is really an invocation. They were asking their gods, and you'll see often in the actions, they're, they're pulling down like this. It was a war dance. What they, would, they would do that before they went into battle, and they were invoking their gods to come and be with them and strengthen them as they go out into battle. Uh, and now we understand, of course, that their gods are not true gods. We serve the true and living God. But we are, we are asking him, Lord, please. Otherwise, this is all a waste of time, isn't it right? If the Lord is not here, then I'm wasting your time. We should pack up early. But we are asking him to, to be with us. Lord, you work by your spirit. Convict of sin. Save. Sanctify. Make us more like Jesus. Encourage us. You know that we're all in different places. Some of you came in encouraged and full of joy. Maybe you got good news. Others discouraged, fearful, broken. Uh, And it's the Holy Spirit who can take the same word and meet each one. And so we're crying out to the Lord to be with us. And then we sing. And singing is a massive part of Scripture. It is an incredible gift from God to us. The Old Testament is full of singing. The New Testament has singing. We find singing in the new heaven and new earth. The longest book in the Bible is a collection of sacred songs, the Psalter. Uh, And so singing is an incredible gift from God. He has given it to us, uh, and we are called to sing. Paul says this to the Ephesians, Ephesians 5.19. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Now, it's often in this area that churches divide, unfortunately. Uh, People feel like, I don't like that type of music. Um, uh, And so generally, people confuse style, their personal preferences, with spirituality. So they say, I don't like the style, so I'm, you know, it's not spiritual. What we find as we go through the Psalms and and what I do at Heritage to encourage our worship leaders, when you read the Psalms, you will find a a spectrum of emotions from from tremendous sobriety and seriousness and uh, even despair, depression, darkness, uh, nothing light at all, to tremendous joy and just... You know, where, where, this, where the lyrics are very simple, right at the end, the Hallel section of the Psalter is just, you know, almost praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise, lots of repetition, very simple, but just full of joy. Everything must praise the Lord, even the fields must clap their hands. And both extremes are appropriate. And so I say, we need to experience both in our worship. Some of you will be more, lean more this side by your very nature, by the way you were raised by your culture even, that you're more sober. 
And so anything that sort of seems too joyful, you're a bit twitchy about. <laughs> and then others, you're more on this side. And anything that seems serious, you think that's not really Christian. Both are incorrect. Both are, we need both. We need songs that make us uh, aware of our sin and the, the, the weight of, of glory of God that cause us to be sober and to think. And we need songs that cause us to just rejoice. So the music needs to be appropriate. So this is very important. The music must be appropriate to the lyrics. It's no use singing very sober, serious lyrics to bouncy music and vice versa. But music is a gift from God and that should affect our emotions because we are not platonic. We don't believe in a, you know, a dualism that our body is evil and the spirit is good. We are to worship God with our whole being. And so the music helps to not manipulate people, but to influence us to feel appropriate emotions to the theology. Martin Luther said that music is a, a handmaiden to, to theology. It's there to help us. And so it's wonderful to see all the instruments and be praying for more instruments. God has given us uh, all the instruments to be used to help us sing. Now, when we come together, there are limitations. So our singing is to be congregational. Many people go to church simply to be entertained. That's unbiblical. Okay? Uh, if you're just going because, sure, that's a great performance, very professional, very slick, but nobody can sing. Have you ever been to those churches? You just look at, around at everyone, and they're like mumbling along because it's just too technical. It needs professional singers to sing it. And it's a fantastic performance, but we're called to all sing together. That's what Paul says in Ephesians, to minister to one another in song, to make a joyful noise together. So already there's a limitation in the style of music. You can't do opera congregationally, okay? You can't do hip-hop congregationally. It's not possible. The style of music then is limited to hymns, choruses, anthems. If you've been to sporting events, you know that everyone sings at sporting events. Have you ever noticed that it's songs very similar to hymns? In fact, if you go to a Welsh, you know, if the Welsh are playing rugby, then it is hymns, <laughs> bread of heaven, uh, or national anthems. That's the type of music it has to be so we can all sing it. Okay, And so there is a restriction. The music must be singable by all of us, but... It can be. It should display that spectrum that we find in Scripture, that sobriety, seriousness, weightiness, and also great joy. We are forgiven. We are perfectly loved. We have a hope of eternal life. We have this promise, Hebrews 2.12. The Lord Jesus says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise uh, I think it's Ed Clowney said, you need to imagine that Jesus is next to you holding the hymn book. Okay? Because that's the promise. I will sing praises to the Father in the midst of the congregation. And as you and I sing, Jesus Christ is with us, praising the Father. And so we look for songs that are theologically sound, critical. We will even change some of the lyrics if we, if we deem them to be unfit, unsound, uh, we change Wesley's hymn. Uh, it says, then Wesley wrote, emptied himself of all but love. 
That's unbiblical. Jesus Christ did not empty himself of his divinity. He did not cease to be God. And so we change that. Okay? Uh, but it must be beautiful because our God is a God of beauty and it must be theologically sound. So singing, really important. Let me encourage you in that. Think about the lyrics. Uh, allow your heart to be moved. Um, don't just, you know, it's easy to just do it in autopilot. But to think about what has been, been said. And then we have the church prayer. And uh, uh, again, God calls us to, when we gather as his people to pray. And so we pray together. So that's very important. While one person is up here praying, uh, he is representing all of us. And our hearts should be united in prayer so that we say amen together. Amen is let it be. We are, we are on board. It's not just, oh, he's praying, okay. Uh, no, it's representative of all of God's people. Uh, and I tell those who pray, I give them this acronym, not unique to me, I didn't make it. ACTS, A-C-T-S, ACTS. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplications. And so uh, a helpful paradigm for prayers, adoration, to adore God, uh, to praise him, our focus is upon him. Then confession of sin. Remember, the gospel is God, sin, Christ faith. And so we need to acknowledge our sin. Uh, if you're not a Christian, that's the starting point. To acknowledge that you have broken God's law, that you are not right with your creator, even though he has been so kind to you, given you life and breath, given you incredible blessings, uh, wonderful things. The only reason we feel that, you know, that we moan about life is because we have something so good to compare it to. Isn't that right? Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. If you had just a terrible life with nothing good ever, that you would think that's the norm. Okay? You know those chickens that just live in the chicken run? And then they let them go free. You say, you know, I love chickens. I'm going to let them go free. They freak out because they don't know how to handle it. They're just used to living in that little coop. That's all, that's all they know. The reason we get upset is because we have so many good experiences, so many incredible things, beautiful sunrises and sunsets and people who hug us and love us and kind to us and uh, being able to run and feel the wind in our face and uh, just to be able to read and listen to good music and just stunning when we deserve hell and God gives us so many good things and then we don't praise the one who gave it. In fact, what we often start to do is worship the gifts instead of the, the giver. And so to confess our sins, uh, and we confess them as believers, so, so when there is confession of sin, unite yourself with that. Lord, please forgive me this past week for, for anger, uh, for lust, for greed, for bitterness, uh, covetousness, whatever it is. We've sinned this past week. Even today, we have sinned. But as believers, that's not where we left. Because of Christ, we have the, the good news. Uh, but confession is an important part in, in the prayer. Um, and that's really about repentance. Lord, forgive me for what I have done. Uh, and then thanksgiving. Important to give thanks for answered prayers. Uh, to be a thankful people. Not, 
you know, like those children who are spoiled brats. You give them a sweet and they just snatch it and run away. Uh, but those who are thankful, Lord, thank you. Quick to say thank you. And then supplications. We bring our requests to the Lord. What a privilege that we get to cast our cares upon him. Uh, and, you, and, and hopefully you notice there's praying for members in the church. Uh, there is praying for other churches in South Africa. So again, we, we don't want to be sort of cultish or isolated. We're saying there are other faithful churches and we pray for them and then we pray for other nations. So we're always looking outward. Say, may the gospel expand in these other countries. And so we think of our brothers and sisters in other places. And then we also pray for our leaders. They say the national pastime of South Africans is complaining. Okay. Um, and certainly there is lots to complain about. And this is not to say we overlook or minimize corruption or injustice. But I can generally tell, you know, it's sort of inversely proportional. The amount someone prays for their leaders and the amount they complain. Okay. The, more you com the more a person complains, I know that the less they're on their knees praying. Okay. If all they're ever doing is complaining... It's hard to hate someone and complain about someone when you start praying for them. Try it. Try someone that you don't like, an enemy, someone who's, who's done you wrong. Start praying for them and see if you can keep your heart hard. Okay, don't intentionally try to keep it hard. but uh, Just start there, a baby step. Start praying. Start praying for our leaders. We're commanded to do it. Again, this is not something we just thought is a nice thing. It's a Christian thing to do. It's commanded. Paul writes to Timothy... First of all, then I urge that petitions, this is 1 Timothy 2, 1, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. So very important, the purpose is so we can uh, live quiet and godly lives, so we can live out our Christianity without fear of persecution isn't it interesting that this is the ideal? Some pastors preach and they say, what we need is persecution. Well, Paul would never say that. Paul says, pray so you can not have persecution. Pray so that you can live peaceful and quiet lives. That's the ideal that we should be praying for. But if we take that freedom lightly, if we abuse it, then very often God does take it away. Church history has, has shown that. But this praying for, for all different types of people is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so when we pray for our leaders, our ministers, really trust the Lord. I want to hear testimonies of our ministers getting saved and trusting the Lord for that. He's done it in history. He can do it. He can, uh, the heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. It's like a river that he, a canal that he steers wherever he wants it to go. And so be praying for, for our leaders, that the Lord would have mercy upon them and save them, and that they would bring in godly and just laws so that we as God's people can live peaceful and quiet lives. And so really seek the Lord for that. Then we have scripture reading. Again, not just a nice thing to do. Well, we Christians, we better read the Bible. Uh, 
No, it's commanded. 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Public reading of Scripture. And so you'll, you'll, you'll get quite a lot of Scripture, uh, hopefully. <laughs> uh, you will have some Scripture read, and then in the sermon you'll have Scripture read. Uh, and so that's to, to, you, you start to delight in God's Word, start to know God's, God's Word. And again, be praying for that. J.C. Ryle, uh, a famous uh, evangelical Anglican about the time of Spurgeon, he was converted when he went to a church service and he was converted under the public reading of Scripture. Okay? Not even the preaching, just the reading of God's Word. And so be praying that the Lord would use just the reading of, of Scripture uh, and, and listen to Scripture. You know that most of history, people have not had Bibles. You won't find Paul saying, guys, when you get home, make sure you've got a yearly, daily reading plan. You know, get through. The Nobody had Bibles. <laughs> They're incredibly expensive manuscripts. Most people, it was oral. It was simply they heard the scriptures read. That's how it came to them. Okay, and we need to recover that, that we start to listen well to God's word, what has been, been said. And then we come to the high point of our service. What we would say is the high point, and that is the preaching of God's word. Not just we, the scriptures say that. Uh, so... You know, that's, again, contrary to many in the culture. Most people, if you, if you go to Varsity on Monday and uh, you say to your friends, how was the worship service on Sunday? They say, oh, it was great. The band was so good. Okay. Worship service, most people think the music. Okay. That's, that's what it's sort of deteriorated to. It should not be like that. When we think worship service, we think primarily the proclamation of God's word. That is the high point. Music, prayer, all of those things are glorious and they're given by God. But God has chosen the foolishness of preaching. I mentioned scripture reading. Have you ever thought, I've often thought this as a preacher, Lord, why don't I just read the Bible? That's inspired. That's, I mean, that's what, how am I ever going to compete with scripture? Why do you ask people to preach, to unpack the Bible? Surely it would be better if we just read it. But God didn't choose that. In his wisdom, he's chosen the foolishness of preaching to save those who, who believe. And so preaching is critical. Learn how to listen to preachers. I know it's difficult. Um, we all have our, our, our favorites. We have preachers that we, we like. And, and, and it's, preachers are the worst at listening to other preachers, I can tell you. okay? Because we're, we're very critical. We're like, oh, I wouldn't use that introduction. Mm. <laughs> it's not so good. Not enough illustrations. Too many illustrations. I wouldn't have used that verse for that. Uh, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, nah, I don't like this guy. He reminds me of my son-in-law. Uh, whatever it is, so we, we, we can easily get like that. And you need to fight that to say, okay, but is what, been, what has been said God's word? Okay. Whatever the vessel, God has used a donkey before. Okay, So whatever the vessel... Uh, unless a person's preaching heresy or they're not gifted to be a preacher, it's a different thing. But 
Uh, other than that, learn to maybe look through maybe irritations, you know, that he doesn't pronounce the word properly or, uh, you know, he's not wearing a suit or a tie or he is wearing a tie, whatever it is. Learn to look through past those things to say, well, what is God saying to me? Remember what Paul says. In Corinth it was like that. They all had their favorites. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Uh, I'm of Peter. What does he say? Is Christ divided? Look for Christ. And so that's a critical aspect of the ethos of heritage. We believe in Christ-centered preaching. Now, of course, I'm assuming most preachers will say they believe in Christ-centered preaching. But what we mean by this is that all of Scripture and every uh, complete unit of Scripture, so not every verse, but every complete unit, what theologians call a pericope, a standalone unit, will point and be fulfilled in Jesus Christ in some way. Whether it's antithetical, so if it's one of the bad kings in Israel, you think, how on earth am I going to find Christ in this? Well, it's in an antithetical way. It's showing you that Jesus is not like this bad king. He is the true king, the good king. And so every service must bring us to Christ, to his person, to his works. And this is not something that we've decided again. Uh, it's not anti-Trinitarian. It's what the Bible teaches. Uh, Paul can say, 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him. We proclaim Christ admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. There are many other verses like this. Paul tells the Galatians that the crucifixion was publicly portrayed through his preaching. What did he preach? He preached Christ. And what Bible did Paul have? He had the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. And yet he used that to preach Christ. And so especially from the Old Testament, if Christ is not being portrayed, if Christ is not being shown, I could hear the same story in a synagogue or a mosque. I would get the same application. Be kind to one another, be good. That's not what changes lives. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, as we behold him, we are changed from one degree of glory to another. Sanctification does not occur on Monday morning. It occurs now. As you see Christ, you are actually being changed. Isn't that glorious? You're actually being changed a little bit more into his image. As you see his beauty and the gospel and the good news of what he has accomplished, that we're not saved by our works or being good enough, but by what he has already done. It's not, you know, what would Jesus do? It's not wrong that. It's what has Jesus done? What has he done already? He's died for me. He's laid down his life for me. He rose again on the third day. He's coming back again. He has redeemed me, forgiven me, and he will glorify me. And so flowing from that, then I, I live out my life. But as I see him, I am, I am changed. Jesus himself came to preach. Uh, Luke 4, Jesus has healed a whole lot of people. And they're, they're clamoring, huge crowds are clamoring because they, they, they want to be healed. And Jesus says to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Isn't that amazing? Jesus has crowds following him. He could you know, say, look, he's got all these crowds. His purpose was not to come primarily to come and heal, 
or cast out demons. He says, my primary purpose is to preach the gospel. And so the preaching of the gospel is, is the high point of our time together. And if you see that those who preach here are not pointing you to Christ, go and speak to them. Okay? I'm, giving you, I'm telling you to do that. Because if you're not seeing Christ, it's just helpful pointers to life. You know, Seven steps to financial security, eight steps to a happy marriage. No, what I need is Christ. I need to see him. And then in closing, we close with a benediction. Benediction literally means good word. We close with a good word. The benediction is not simply, you know, okay, now I know to start tidying up and to put my Bible away and things like that. You know, people often start to do that. I need to get the kids now. No, you're missing out. The benediction is glorious. You are now, after praising God and worshiping Him and praying and singing and hearing His word read and proclaimed, you are now being sent out into the world. It's the time now to respond in faith as God sends you out. And the benediction is God's blessing for you. And we all need that. You can't bless yourself. The world tries to do that. You can see that in uh, social media. People are going around saying how amazing they are, aren't they? They're not particularly attractive, but they say, I'm the most attractive person in the world. They're uh, you know, not you know, particularly great, but they're saying how great they are. They're very arrogant, but they're saying how amazing they are. And that's, they're trying to bless themselves. I don't need anyone. I'm amazing as I am, but it's so hollow, isn't that right? We know that's not true. You know, you can do a TikTok video of that and say that to everyone, but you know at night it's not true. You need others to validate you. You cannot validate yourself. You need people who know you and yet still love you. And in the gospel, that is exactly what we have. We have a Savior who knows us perfectly. The reality is most of your friends, your spouse, don't know you fully, and often you're worried that they will. And then sometimes they do, and it's not so great. But in Christ, he knows everything. He knows everything about you. He even knows the things that you don't know about yourself. He knows every vile thought you've ever had, every perverse action you've ever done, every violent thought that has gone through your mind, whatever it is. He knows it all. And yet in the gospel, he loves his people perfectly. And he blesses his people. And so blessing is a huge aspect of of the Bible. Uh, In the Old Testament, the patriarchs and fathers would bless their sons and they would bless their sons and they would, it was not just, you know, vague and ephemeral, just some words that they would say, you know, I want you to prosper. They would actually say the words and then commit to fulfilling it. And so they would say, son, I want you to, to prosper. I want you to do well. And what I'm going to do is give you half of my land. I'm going to give you this so that you're able to, to do it. Uh, the, the, the blessing was not just verbal, it was actually an empowering to accomplish what was said. And so it is with God. And God blesses us, he also empowers us to, to go out and live that blessed life.
And so the blessing contains within it the power to actually accomplish what is, what is promised. And so uh, I would encourage you to really, from today, when we have our benediction, just focus. Okay? Don't be thinking about other things. I need to get to the coffee quickly. Uh, <laughs> but receive this blessing from the Lord. As you go out now, loved, forgiven, belonging to Christ, and you go out into this world, uh, know that God is empowering you to, to live this life, to follow him, and that he has promised to be with us to the end of the age, that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He gives us the grace to, to obey and to fulfill these blessings. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for, uh, for the Lord's Day service that you have commanded. You have called us together on your day to worship you as you have commanded. And thank you that you have told us to, to sing praises. You have told us to pray. You have told us to uh, read your word and to hear the preaching of your word. And that then we are sent out with a benediction. And we thank you so much for this, Father. Thank you for your kindness to us. Uh, we need to be reminded every week. And I do pray that for every one of us, we would not uh, see this as just a vain tradition or a dead tradition, but that we would see it as a living tradition, handed down over millennia, ordained by you for our benefit, and that we would see the gospel even in the structure of the service, that we would see Christ in the preaching and that we would respond in faith in the benediction as we are sent out. And we do ask that in everything that we do, as we do everything decently and in order, that you would be glorified and that we as your people would be sanctified and that each one of us would become a little bit more like you, Lord Jesus. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen.